The following presentation is part of a six-week class titled Introduction to Mindfulness. The class is offered at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And when you feel ready, have a seat and do what you can to create a stable posture for the body. might find it useful to take a couple of slow, deep, easy breaths. on its own. So we're trusting the body to do the breathing. We're practicing letting the breath be. Notice the quality of equanimity. The mind isn't attached 
to the sounds that come and go. Not taking the sounds personally. If you want now, we can work with the anchor of the body. So we're just feeling the sensations of the body sitting in a very direct and immediate way. This is basic knowing that the body is like this now. This is how it is, this body. Can this be okay? Sitting is being known. Can this be okay? be interested to recognize the full range of sensation, so including not just the pleasant sensations in the body, but all the neutral. The neutral sensations are the sensations that the mind is in the habit of ignoring, of not recognizing. And of course, also noticing the unpleasant sensations that may be present now. like this now. Can this be okay? The mind is recognizing and accepting, interested in relating with non-attachment, non-clinging. you can notice the movement of the breath in the body or work with whatever anchor you've been practicing with. If you're working with the breath, simply allow the breath to come in and go out. How nice it is not to need to control the breathing process. And wherever the sensations of the breath the breathing process are clear, you can use that place, that location, to be aware of the breath coming in and the breath going out. So whatever anchor you're working with, explore the possibility of the continuity of mindfulness. Periods of time where there are very few, if any, breaks in the mindfulness.
remember it's possible to be interested in distraction. No need to consider them a failure or to be frustrated. Sometimes when the distraction is noticed, it typically falls away or fades away. But if it persists, then practice recognizing the way that it is. Accepting, being interested, and not taking it personally, non-attachment. You might find it useful at times to actually name strong distractions. Ah, judging. Judging is being known, for example, or pain, aching, burning, is being known. It's just this being known. So experiment with naming at times when the mind has the tendency to get attached and reactive. See if it supports the continuity of mindful awareness, even with distractions or disturbances in the mind. And when you can, come back to the anchor connecting and sustaining this simple, clear, and relaxed attention.
what is the mind knowing now, be willing to begin again. For the last few minutes, 
You might find it useful to practice with the eyes open if you generally practice with your eyes closed. So we're not looking around, we're just allowing the eyes to open, gazing down toward the floor. Aware of seeing, seeing is being known. Hearing is being known. Sensations of the body are being known. Some are pleasant, some are neutral, some are unpleasant. And also the thinking mind, this is also being known. to be relaxed and clear and not clinging, not attached to the mental and physical phenomena that come and go. mind is beginning to get attached, to react, then remind yourself, this is just something being known. Whatever it is, turn your attention to it or include it, recognizing this is something being known here and now. body, nice to move slowly after a sitting period, and maybe if you would mind to talk to about halfway. Great, thanks. So we can take about uh, 10 or 15 minutes and do a check-in, and then I'll introduce the loving-kindness practice. 
as one of the antidotes that actually has many different purposes of playing that instrument. That, as I've mentioned before, it's really nice to hear from people the different challenges you've had, both just the challenge of sitting, you can explain that, successes you feel that you've had in your practice, questions you have about the instruction. If you've experimented with the walking meditation, it'd be nice if you have any comments or questions about that, or whatever seems relevant. So, any comments or questions? Yeah, say your name. Uh, Did you hear what Bruce said over here? So this is a classic uh, obstacle to practice. If we're, let's say, if we are lucky, we're cruising along, aware, accepting, letting things be, but then a painful emotion arises, and we may try several times to recognize, oh, this is a painful emotion being known. We might even specifically recognize what kind of emotion it is. So this is sadness. This is grief. This is wanting revenge, you know, resentment. So we can, it's nice to be able to recognize it and to know that it's an emotion. But each time, because of the intensity, the mind gets seduced by the pain, and it, by being seduced, it means that we want to think about it. We want to proliferate around it. And you all know, we all know, deep in our bones, that when we do that, the mind, the body gets tighter. The more we excuse me, obsess, think, steam, the tighter everything becomes. And we suffer, like you said, like Bruce said. So then the question is, well, what do you do? Well, the thing about that question, and remember, it's a question that's not an enforcement, I, I should be okay with this. It's really an open question. Can I be okay with this? Can this be okay? And then the answer is no, it's not okay. It's not okay that this person did this to me. It's not okay. I really want, you know, I, I don't want it to be this way. And I don't want to be feeling what I'm feeling. I'm tired of being angry at this person. And why did he or she do this to begin with? And then we, the thing about the practice is, there's always the next moment. So now in the next moment, the question is, you know, the, the question is to say, well, can this be okay? But now, that question is referring to the reactivity. At first, it was referring to the actual pain of the emotion. Can this be okay? No. Okay. Can that rejection, like, can it, can the fact that it's not okay be okay? Like, that I'm overwhelmed. I think you used that word, Bruce. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by what's going on in our life. Can that be okay? It's certainly not what we'd want to have happening, right? But it is what's happening. So the question is, given that I'm overwhelmed now with an emotion, should I hate the way that it is, or should I accept the way that it is, given that I'm overwhelmed? So the, the Sharon Salzberg, one of my teachers and one of the better-known teachers in this Vipassana insight meditation tradition, she gives this example of being on a tightrope 
you know, on a tightrope, when you get greedy, you lose your balance and you fall off. When you get aversive, you lose your balance and fall off. When you're diluted, you lose your balance, so you space out, you get distracted, you lose your balance and you fall off the tightrope. But, and the way it works is, you always end up in the tightrope again. You can fall off as many times, but you're always, in the next moment, you're in the next moment. Now it's like this. We have another opportunity to meet whatever the whatever it is. You know, being overwhelmed by an emotion, the most ordinary and boring experience I've ever had, whatever it is, the next breath coming in, somebody coughing in the room. The next moment we're there on the tightrope and we can either be aversive to what's being known, we can be greedy, wanting, craving because of what's being known, or we can be deluded, like not thinking it's important, not thinking there's anything happening, basically spacing out. If we do, we lose it. But we have the next moment to practice. You can never lose it for very long, because there's always the next moment. So, one, so that's the first teaching in terms of when you're overwhelmed. It's not the only teaching. But the first teaching is, don't worry about it. Just see if you can be okay with being overwhelmed. No, the <laughs> mind says. Well, can that be okay? You know, being in a fit, not liking the way that it is, it's like this, and this is where naming can be useful. So there is a place to practice for language, for thinking. But now we're using thinking to support that part of the mind that can be clear. Because we're using language to name, as best we can understand, what's actually being known, what's actually happening and getting the attention. Oh, the mind is overwhelmed and it doesn't like the way that it is. And it's like this. This is what is being known now. And that really is stabilizing for the mind when it recognizes the way that it is. Because we can't really accept what we don't recognize. We have to recognize the way that it is before we can, in a sense, create space for it to be that way. Well, this is how it is. And given everything that's happened, it can't be other than what it is. And if there's something I can do about it right now, well, I'll do it. And if there's nothing I can do about it, well, then there's nothing I can do about it. But it doesn't make sense to get tight about the way something already is. Like if we had a really painful loss in our lives. Doing this around that memory is literally insane. I mean, it's totally understandable that we do it because of habit. But it doesn't, it isn't functional to get tight around what's painful. Does that make sense? It doesn't actually keep the pain away. What we do is we get tight and then we notice the tightness and it seems like we have some distance from the pain that was the trigger for the reaction. But we don't actually have any more distance or protection from that pain. We just distracted ourselves by, by creating more tension, by more pain. That's why it's insane. And the more we get this, the more we understand, but we just do our best. Now sometimes we really are overwhelmed, and after every attempt to be skillful, to take a step back and realize it's like this, can this be okay? And we just get, we're getting swept or sucked into unproductive thinking. Basically, the mind and body is wrapping itself in tighter mouth. Then, what's useful to do at that point 
is to redirect the mind. To, with a lot of um, resolve, do something else with the mind. And this, this will be a nice lead-in. I'll just say a few things about loving-kindness practice now because a lot of what is overwhelming for us will have something to do with aversion or fear. Remember, fear is a type of aversion. So aversion is one of the three basic defilements of the mind, which is in the way of wisdom, in the way of being skillful, in the way of mindfulness. And aversion includes fear, it includes hatred, resentment, boredom is a form of aversion, irritation, of course, is a form of aversion. So there's this whole spectrum of aversion. When we keep getting drawn back into aversion and we identify with it, we're not seeing it with non-attachment, we're seeing, seeing it with a, a identification and attachment. We're clinging to it, the ideas, the feelings, and we're burning, we're spinning, we're thinking, and that's just reinforcing the pain of the attachment. Then, once we have some sense that that's happening, we want to redirect the attention, and we want to do it in a specific way that is opposite of the mind that's averse, or fearful, or angry, or hateful, which is, of course, loving-kindness. Now, the thing is, it's not about loving that person that we're angry at or this feeling that we're having in our body and mind. We don't have to bring up loving-kindness for that specific state that we're experiencing. Anything we can bring have the feeling of loving-kindness for. <clears throat> you know, the basic premise is anger or aversion doesn't fit in the same mind that's experiencing loving-kindness. So, you know, you might just bring to mind your cat lying on your bed at home. <clears throat> there you are, steaming about somebody who left you, who you loved, totally surprised, so completely betrayed, you know, a classic place where people have a lot of pain. And, uh, and you're just spinning and you found, you brought all your skill to it, but the pain is so seductive, you just get swept away thinking about it in ways that aren't productive. Finally, you realize what's going on. It's been an hour, you know. And so you remember, oh yeah, Mark mentioned about loving kindness. Okay, who, what can I bring my mind to? What person, what animal, what object can I bring my mind to where I have some slim chance of having some feeling of loving kindness for? Okay, my cat's at home. I don't have ill will toward my cat. It's doing the best it can, you know? <laughs> Even if it does shed all over my house. Even if it does scratch the furniture. I authentically, in this moment, I don't have to like pretend I actually care about my cat. Or I actually care about my niece. You know, sometimes it's best to bring to mind a, an animal or a person that's not complicated. It's not necessarily the time to bring to mind our partner who we may love deeply, but Generally, they push our buttons, too. So somebody that we have a more unconditional kind regard for, we bring it to mind, and we're, we make the resolve to pay attention to that person, and we bring to mind uh, our wishes for that person. And to the degree, now, when we're in a fit, it's not the time to learn loving-kindness practice. It's best to learn it when we're in a more neutral state of mind, so we get some momentum with it. So then when we are in a fit, overwhelmed with aversion, we can redirect the mind with loving kindness. So this is an antidote. So what's the antidote when our mind is caught up by 
aversion, but it's caught up by greed, by lust, by wanting, obsessing about the house renovation, obsessing about our vacation, obsessing about a new partner or a new lover, obsessing about a new job or future for ourselves. And we just can't let it go. And we're tying ourselves up in knots. And we, you know, we try to see, oh, it's just attachment, it's just craving, it's just wanting, this is just wanting. But yeah, but I really do, and I'd be so happy. And we get sucked right back into the content, swirling. We look at the content, and we crave it, and the craving makes us look at, think about the content again, and we crave it. And there's that cycle between the actual visceral feeling of craving and the content. So the content elicits that physical tension that's associated with the craving, and then when we feel that physical uh, sensation, we think about it. We picture it, right? And then that triggers, the fit, and it's like uh, they play off each other. And we can be craving for days. You know, we can be obsessing about something we want for a long time and really develop a head of steam and create a lot of suffering. So when craving is really uh, seducing the mind, then we want to bring to mind the opposite of craving, which is impermanent. <clears throat> so we, we, resolve to reflect on impermanence in any way that things come and go. Like you could do the big picture thing, you know, like let's say we're obsessing about a new car or a new cell phone. Then we can just bring to mind the basic facts. It's not pretend. It actually works. I'm 54. I'm going to die. Guaranteed. And I don't know when I'm going to die. Or you could be more specific. That cell phone will be useful for about two years, three years, four years max. You know, I could drop it in water, I can lose it, you know, break it in different ways. So you're really getting the sense that, that everything is impermanent. One of the big insights, remember I mentioned before about seeing something about the mind that we haven't seen before? Well, one of the earth-shattering insights, now you're going to get this intellectually, but it's different when you actually see it in the moment as a reality, as an unshakable reality, which is the pain of wanting doesn't depend on gratification to go away. Like, let's say you have Ben and Jerry's in your freezer at home and you really want your Chunky Monkey or Cherry Garcia or whatever it is that you like, your favorite ice cream, there, you know, trying to listen to what I'm saying, but you're just thinking about it, wanting it, wanting it. And it's, you can really look at that desire, and the thing is, that desire will go away without you ever having that ice cream. But when we're caught in it, there's a sense that the pain of wanting won't go away unless I get it. But think about how many things we really wanted in our life and they haven't gotten that pain has gone away without getting. So, reflecting on impermanence on any level, I mean, basically, we're redirecting our attention and we're reflecting on the absolute truth that everything comes and goes. Can you name anything that doesn't come and go? Everything comes and goes. Whatever is dear to us will come and go. There is nothing you get to take. There's that old joke, you know, some wealthy guy dies, and uh, how much did he leave behind? And the answer is, well, of course, everything. 
Right? You don't take anything with you. Everything's left behind. So we can bring this to mind. Whenever the mind is obsessing, we can bring to mind how whatever that drama is, however believable it is, we can remember that everything comes and goes. And then it, it sort of deflates the need, the intensity of the craving, just to reflect on that. The Buddha made a big deal at contemplating impermanence as a way of coming into balance with life. It's the not understanding impermanence that leads to so much of our neurotic behavior. Thinking that something's forever. Whatever it might be. So just keep in mind those two antidotes. When the mind is obsessed and caught in craving, reflect on impermanence. When the mind is obsessed, caught in aversion or fear, bring to mind loving kindness. This is when mindfulness isn't strong enough to just see the aversion as aversion or see the craving as craving and basically pop the seduction through wisdom. It's like it's just a thought. It's just a sensation in the body. If we can do that, we step our first move. If that practice move doesn't work, then we redirect the attention. I mean, there are other ways to redirect the attention. You know, you can get up and take a walk or, you know, watch TV. But those are very wholesome ways, I mean, relatively speaking, that actually seeing how that obsession uh, gets removed from the mind is very empowering. Because one of the things that's so debilitating about being caught in resentment or being caught in craving is we feel helpless to our desire or to our anger. It literally seems to take over. And we were possessed. I mean, people talk about it in these terms. I'm possessed. I just need. I won't be satisfied until I get this. Like somebody addicted to, you know, an addicting drug, like heroin. Gotta have it. All we're doing is thinking about, you know, whatever it is. It could be small things. I've had this just about chocolate, you know. And I'll get in my car and drive 10 miles to buy chocolate. Sometimes when it's, I mean, it's like, it's funny, but it isn't funny in the moment. <laughs> we might dress it up and say, well, I don't really need it, but I'm going to get it anyway. You know, we're not really truthful. Well, if you don't really need it, just see what happens. You know, just sit with that feeling. Yeah, I don't really need it, but why was the harm? You know, we tell ourselves these stories. And this is the nice thing about uh, just the form of sitting still in meditation is that we've given ourselves 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever you have, and you're not moving. So then when craving comes up, or you really want to get revenge right now, you know, you've got this container where I'm sitting for 45 minutes. So this is a perfect opportunity to see if I can, by just through wisdom, just through the skill of the mind, uh, find some freedom with this obsessive, unskillful state. How can I get some freedom? Does it work to hate the fact that I'm hating somebody? No. Does it work to, like, I'll figure it out, like, why am I hating? No, generally thinking about it doesn't work. But we can just see that it's a thought, or just a feeling in the body, or if that doesn't work, we can redirect the mind in a skillful way. When the mind is fully absorbed in something else, there's literally no space in the mind to pick up the anger or to pick up the greed. When, we're, when the mind is very interested in impermanence, 
Greed just doesn't make sense in that same mind. You can't be both appreciating the radical truth of impermanence and be craving a new cell phone. Guarantee it. Try it. Like really appreciating, really recognizing the truth of impermanence. Like, I used to be 18 and now I'm not anymore. I used to be able to consider myself a young man, but I can't. I didn't used to have gray hair, but now I do. I never used to think about retirement. Now I think about retirement a lot. You know, all these things that we really get about impermanence. My parents used to be both alive, and now they're not. So we, we just see that, oh, yeah, things do change. I used to be going out with that person, but now I'm not. I used to live there, but now I don't. It used to be spring, but now it's not. And we really get, oh, it's a very fluid thing here. And it's, and it's just like the whole charm of the cell phone or whatever the obsession might be disappears. So let's do some of that loving-kindness practice. So we get some momentum with it. Now, the point of loving-kindness practice isn't just to do it as a formal meditation. It's to be able to access it all the time. And you know you're developing the loving-kindness practice when your mindfulness always has its flavor. So whenever you're present with something, it has the, the flavor of kindness. Like when you're showing up and just being present with another human being, there's a real, that intimacy, that presence, feels, has a warmth, has a love to it. When you're just present with your brushing of your teeth, it's not, it's like a real, uh, alive, intimate experience. This is how we should be living our lives, with kindness. It's not something that we pull out when we need it. But initially, we're going to pull it out and develop it as a specific practice. So you have your hand up, but I'll just go through the instructions. It's a mind training. And in a way, it takes more work than the mindfulness practice. Because in mindfulness, we're really practicing receptivity. We may use the breath as an anchor, or the body as an anchor, or hearing as an anchor. But we're just settling into the reality of the moment with a clear and relaxed mind. But here we're training our mind to abide with one specific object. So the way we do that is we start with somebody who's easy to love. And you can just do that now. Bring to mind somebody in your life easy to love. And like I mentioned earlier, it's good not to choose somebody who's really complicated. You don't even need to know the person personally. Like you could bring to mind some saint that you heard about, you know, read about, that's still alive. It's better to use somebody who's alive because they're easier to imagine. Once somebody's dead, how do you visualize them, right? So somebody alive that you have a natural, warm, good feelings for. And then part of the meditation is to maintain that recollection of the person. If you're a visual person, you can maintain a visual image of the person. If it's not easy for you to be visual, then just have a felt sense, as if you were right there with the person. Okay? That's one part. The other part is you're going to maintain just a general sense of your heart center. So initially, it just means physically feeling your heart center. But at some point, you might actually, you know how sometimes when our heart is broken, we actually feel it here? Or when our heart is opening, we feel it viscerally? Well, sometimes in your loving-kindness practice, that will start to come alive. Whether, and don't second-guess it. Whatever you feel is what you feel. 
So we're remembering the person, we're feeling the heart center, and then the third thing we're going to do is repeat some simple phrases. Now initially, just do what I do. I'll say it out loud, and you repeat it silently in your mind. But as you practice at home, it's really appropriate to be creative, not to keep changing the phrase, but to find some words and phrases that really are meaningful for you, and then stick with them. Don't always go looking for better phrases, but feel free to use different phrases than what I have in the sheet. So settle into a comfortable posture. Feel free to stretch out your legs. And then I'll walk you through this practice for about 10 minutes. It's nice to be as comfortable as you can be for this practice. In a sense, this is more of a concentration practice, so it's nice not to be distracted by unpleasant sensations in the body if that's possible. Settling in. And bringing to mind somebody easy to love. And remember, if a person doesn't come to mind, it's okay to use the pet if you want. But if there's somebody that's easy to love, somebody who's really been there for you or just have a natural affection for, bring this person to mind. Have a felt sense. And in the most basic sense, just recognize I care about you. And silently in your mind, you can even say the person's name or the animal's name if you want. Just remembering, I do care about you. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. May your body be healthy and free from pain. And may you take care of your life with ease and joy. And again, renew your felt sense of the person if you've lost it, feeling the heart center. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. May you be healthy and free from pain. And may you take care of your life with ease and joy. May you be safe and protected in all ways. May your heart be happy and peaceful. And may you be healthy and free from pain.
May you take care of your life with ease and joy. For a couple times now on your own, go through the phrases. Each phrase is a simple and beautiful gift to the person. your time with the phrases so that you're really connecting with the meaning of the words after each repetition, feeling the heart, remembering the person. So one more round. moments and just have a sense of yourself sitting here in the most basic way we recognize this truth. I care about this life. I care about this heart. Just repeat that phrase in your mind a couple of times. Recognize that it's true. Do care about this life here. May I be safe and protected in all ways. And may this heart be happy and peaceful. May this body here be healthy and strong, free from pain. May I take care of this life with ease and joy. So just continue for a couple minutes repeating the phrases for yourself. 
as if you're offering a very simple but beautiful gift. Each phrase, each good wish, it's a nice gift to receive. your back. Really keep coming back to the phrases, even if there's some resistance in the mind. What could be harmful about having a felt sense of ourselves sitting here, feeling the heart center, and repeating the phrases, may I be safe and protected in all ways. May this heart be happy and peaceful. May I be healthy and strong. May I take care of this life with ease and joy.
May all of us here together be safe from harm. May our hearts be happy and peaceful. May we be healthy and free from pain. May we take care of our lives with ease and joy, free from suffering, free from the causes of suffering. And not just the people here, but all beings, including the difficult people in our lives. May all beings, without exception, all the human beings, near and far, all creatures, complicated creatures, simple creatures, those seen, those unseen, may all beings, without exception, be protected from harm. May all beings be happy and peaceful, healthy and free from pain. And may all beings live with ease and joy, free from suffering and free from the causes of suffering. Just sit for a few seconds, feel the heart basic friendliness, warmth of the heart. creativity and the whole idea is to do it formally because what we're doing is we're training the mind to be able to find the quality of loving kindness and to reside there and then it's really useful to just bring it up during the day you see somebody cross the bus perfect you know silently in your mind without looking weird at all <laughs> and you want to speak in a very authentic way of course silently in your mind I'm a human being, you're a human being. I want to be happy, I bet you want to be happy too. May you be happy. May you have a good day. May you be free from suffering. Or however you want to articulate it in your mind. But just to, we're really rediscovering this capacity we have to care, or to bless, or to wish well. It's the most ordinary thing, and I guarantee this is the most direct way to happiness. It's not... It's not sort of life-shattering like some of the insights that come from mindfulness practice, but it's the most accessible uh, experience of freedom because we're experiencing the freedom from irritation, from aversion, from ill will. Ill will is not so hard to go beyond. It's just a bad habit. So we need to create a new habit. And this is something we can, all of us, it's possible to do. Don't, the problem people run into is they immediately think, oh, I'm going to generate loving kindness for this person who I've been hating for the last 20 years. 
Well, why do we always go to the hardest thing? Start where it's easy, build momentum and confidence in your heart's capacity to be friendly, to be loving, to be kind. And then, when you're an expert, go to the person you've been hating, practicing hating for the last 20 years. So, keep that in mind. Experiment. There are a lot of other suggestions uh, on the sheet. Just play with them, and we'll talk more about it next week. Thanks for coming, everyone. everyone.